Good morning. You look good. You, and you're singing really good. My goodness. I love that. How many of you didn't know the person next to you could actually sing? <laughs> or better yet, how many of you are pretty sure you were right? They can't, right? <laughs> oh, it's fun to have you here. It really is. And everybody online, thank you. Uh, we love that you're joining us each week. And please, just make yourself at home and enjoy yourself. It's, really, uh, it's been a really fun week. I, uh, I'm loving the, the blue sky, sunshine, the snow's melting and all that stuff. It's like, oh, it'll snow again though, just so you know. But hey, a couple months, honestly, we're kind of back in the summertime. So just enjoy every day as it, as it comes. We are wrapping up our series that we have been in for the last six weeks called How We Change. I don't know about you, but I've been really challenged by this because um, I don't know that it's that easy to change. Sometimes we say we're working on something. Um, you know, people lose weight, gain weight, work out, gain muscle mass. Those are physical things. I think you can do those, and there are plans to do that. But when you start talking about the psyche, the mind, the habits, the mental prep that it takes to go through a behavioral change, it's one of the hardest things you can do in your life. And so we've looked at all these different aspects of, of how we change and, and what God wants from us in our lives and how we can meet those needs. Um, today I get to talk to you about truthfulness and Scripture. And I've, I've put those two together because they go together. Because if you, if you want to walk in truthfulness... You've got to know what the baseline is. You, you've, there, there has to be a standard in which you bump up against or you're just renaming your truth. And everyone has a truth. And we're going to talk about that. It's a little complicated, but I think you can do it. And uh, I'm going to do my best to help you understand. Tell me if you recognize this. Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. How many recognize that? How many of you have ever had to go to court and say that? Okay, a few of you have. Um, what was it for? No, just kidding. <laughs> Why in the world would our court system have that before you can be a witness to anything? Because people lie. That's why. Doesn't everyone just tell the truth? Isn't it just easier? Can you imagine the difference in our world if everyone just told the truth? Did you steal that? Yes. <laughs> Did you cheat on this exam? Yep. Wow. It's a big deal. People lie and people live lies. People promote lies knowing it's a lie. People come together and decide to lie about a company or a product or an issue or a financial line. It's a lie. And they know it's a lie. But they do it. And it's almost always for selfish gain. Or to hide something ugly about themselves. It's all about good old number one. The lack of truthfulness almost always boils down to protecting yourself or promoting yourself. Almost always. 
So I want to talk about the practice of truthfulness in our, in our lives. And I want to challenge you a little bit. In 2 Timothy, it's a book in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. It says, all scripture, meaning this, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is what? True. What is true? And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, when you, when you bump up against what's written in this book, you need to pay attention. If it says don't do that and you decide to do it anyway, you're stepping out into an area that removes you from God's favor or blessing. And that's a tough, it's a tough, it sounds really harsh, but as we get into it, you'll understand true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So I have like five things. If you have our Timberline app, you can go there and follow along digitally or it'll be on the screen if you want to jot any of this down. Number one is just the truth about the Bible. One of the things that I've wanted to do for a while, and I'm not going to take you through 30 minutes of proof texting or anything like that. But I just want to just read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's when the church came out from the upper room after the day of Pentecost, they gathered together. This is the beginning of the church as we know it today. And it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was this book, and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which would be communion, and prayer. So there's this idea here that they came together. They shared their wealth. They they, they prayed for each other. They, they listened to instruction that their lives might be an example to the world. There must be a decision made in your life about the truth that you're going to live by. You've got to make that decision. Concepts about truth. Let me give you some ideas of why this is complicated. We have truth about our experiences. Example. If I ask you right now to pull out a paper and a pen and, and write down your experience so far in this room today, would you all write the same thing? No. I might write something that it doesn't sound anything like what you write. Are they both true? Yeah. They're true according to my experience. They're true according to your experience. That's, that's why the Bible's complex is because you have 40 different authors. Just the Gospels along, uh, alone, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recording same similar stories that Jesus did. But it's their experience, and they're writing it down with what they saw. One recognizes this, another one doesn't even mention that. So you've got to put it all together. When so, There's truth about opinion. <laughs> Boy, this one's a big one in our world today. If someone says, oh, that shirt is way too bright on you, your skin tones, that's not your color. And someone else says, oh, it looks awesome on you. Which is true? It's an opinion. It's not necessarily, it's not the truth. It's just an opinion. Truth about God. Now here's, here's you've got you to hear this. This book is the truth about God. Now, if you choose not to believe in this God, I respect you. 
But what I have little respect for is people who say they believe in God, but they don't understand or believe in this book because this book is the roadmap to know this God. It's not just my opinion about God or my thoughts about what God should be. It's what does this book say about God? I would much rather someone say, I just don't believe any of it, than to say, I believe it, but I don't believe some parts of it. And that's what we have to get into today. Because is the Bible reliable? Let me, I promise I won't take too long on this, but there's 66 books in this Bible, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years. And it goes, boils down to five basic things, okay? I'm, this is not going to be on the screen. It's not in your outline, but I'm going to give you why I believe in the Bible. You can take it or leave it. Number one is the Bible is documented, period. It's documented all over the world. It's not deniable. There's more documentation for the books of the Bible than there are, other, than there are many other historically recognized authors and literature, like Plato, for example. Way more artifacts with the Bible than, than Plato. Number two, archaeological findings. Excavation sites and artifacts provide evidence that these events of the Bible, these people, these cities, these places, they all are real. They took place. You study the, the group called the Hittites. These people are found in way more literature than the Bible, and yet the Bible talks much about the Hittites. So it's not just something that someone sat down and made up. Number three, eyewitness accounts. The gospel gives multiple points of view in many cases. And they're written over a lifetime of people. There are different aspects with the same message. And they all come together to say two or three or four things. Jesus taught on this earth. Jesus healed people. He performed miracles. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's just historical fact. Now you might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, do a little more research. I'm serious. I'm not belittling you, but you can't deny artifacts that are in your face. If you look back and you really get after it, you're going to see this thing is pretty convincing. There's a lot of proof. Number four is the life of Jesus. The fact that Jesus was a real historical person, person is clearly documented by Jewish manuscripts way beyond the Bible, even before the Apostle Paul, before the writers of the Gospel. There are many Roman leaders who mention the story of Christos, of Jesus. It goes on and on. I could just go forever. Another one is just um, cities like Jericho, unearthed. Ephesus, unearthed. The Colosseum where, where Paul argued, unearthed. I've been there. I've walked into that Colosseum. It's there. It's talked about in the Bible. And so these are real places. And then number five is just redeemed lives. When you sit on my side of the desk as a pastor for all these years, I cannot tell you how many lives I've seen that have made a, a U-turn, headed for destruction, but God shows up and there is a crossroads and someone makes a decision to, to believe in Jesus and their life is drastically changed. We have people like C.S. Lewis who was a total atheist until he did some research. And then all of a sudden he went, wow, this is real. And he became one of the greatest apologists that we, we ever had on the earth. And then you got guys like John Newton who was trading slaves. He met Jesus. Complete turnaround in his life. And he sat down and wrote this song called Amazing Grace. 
How sweet the sound that God would save a wretch like me. You think about these stories, it goes on and on. All right, I'm done. Let's go. Point two. Now, the second point starts to get personal, and it's this. I must make a decision about my truth. My truth. What, what is your truth? What is the standard by which you have decided to live? And we're in a culture today where people, they write out their own truth. Fine. You have that option. You're a free human being. You have a free will. I believe that. You can do that. Is that a good decision? I don't know. We'll know in the end, though. Ephesians 4, verse 14. That's why Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, because there are many false teachers. And it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. What is it that you have determined to believe about God? And will it be based on the Bible, or will it be based on your own Bible, whatever that is that you write? I don't like everything in the Bible. <gasps> I don't. Me and God are going to have a talk one of these days. I don't know why cities were wiped out in war, especially the Old Testament. It just seems like God was really harsh. I read some of that stuff and I go, okay, I, I don't really like that part. Because God is love. How could, that, how could that be God? But I realized something. I realized that I don't have the big picture of infinity, of forever. I don't, I don't have that understanding. I believe God is just. That's why when I get there, he's got some explaining to do. But here's the thing. I believe, I believe that God is just more than I trust myself to be the judge of all events on the earth. I am not capable of that. I do not believe you are capable of that. But that's what mankind does. It comes into a presupposition that says, I will determine my truth and I will live according to what I think is best. Is that kind of small when you look at the universe and its vastness and its domain and everything that's out there? It's, I'm not being sarcastic at all. I'm being really honest. It breaks my heart. This book is God's story and it's not meant to be edited. Either tell me you don't believe it, and I can live with that, but don't tell me you are going to cut out the parts you don't like. Many churches today, many denominations, are deciding that the Bible just isn't the truth. Why? Because it doesn't lean into all the lifestyles people are living. That's hard. Because, you know, I want my lifestyle to be backed up by this book. But not every lifestyle is. And our culture has a lot of opinions about truth. And it matters, and here's why it makes me 
as a pastor so heavy-hearted. It matters because the ramifications and the consequences of your decisions are eternal from my point of view. And that is my point of view, and I get that. And the Bible does teach that one day we will give a full account to God for how we live on this earth. Is that the truth? I believe it is. So why wouldn't I care about what you believe? If I love you, I don't want to be a pest. You know, this, I, I just, it's, it's amazing. I, this, this, this little paper is a great illustration. It's just a little piece of paper. But if you say to me, I don't believe in the law of gravity, I can say, well, okay, I'm sad about that because I think it does exist. No, it doesn't exist. I don't believe that. What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? And that's how I feel sometimes about people haven't taken the time to really do the research that it requires to know what they believe. A belief system really matters. It's really important. Take the time, regardless of where you are right now, take the time. Number three, will I speak the truth? Will I speak the truth? Now, this, this is going to get fun, so hang in here with me. Psalm 19, there's this wonderful passage, verse 14, that we make little plaques on. We hang it on our wall, and it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we, as, as followers of Jesus, if you are one, allows us to say, God, please, I want my words to be words of truth. Are you known for being truthful? Now, there's a lot of kindness in social grace in truthfulness. Let me, let, me just, let me just illustrate it like this. Is my nose too big? If you say yes, you might be telling the truth. If you say no, you might be telling the truth. But it's your opinion of what that truth is. And sometimes, like I'm telling you right now, if... if if I'm, I can be clear in the other room, but if my wife Bonnie says, honey, does this dress look good on me? Yes! <laughs> but you haven't even seen it. Yes! I know it's going to look good on her, right? So there is, there is such a thing as social grace and some of these things. We had the funniest thing this week. And I'm not trying to embarrass them. and I, I've just been saying it in these services in a one-sentence thing. But Bonnie's sister, Suzanne, had a birthday this week, and, and it, we had a surprise party. And her two boys uh, and, and a friend w were coming in from different states, and we had this whole thing all a surprise. And it was complicated because she changed her plans, and we all were texting like, oh, she's doing something else. We got and, and so, so I, I'm like just dying laughing because we just... We told so many lies this week. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Bonnie and I both laughed out loud because Bonnie says to me in a different context, she says, so what is the, the trait that, that we're supposed to live? What's the practice this week that you're talking about? And I said, truthfulness. <laughs> it was hilarious. It all worked out, too. She was totally stunned, weren't you? Yeah, they're over here. It was so fun. So funny to have 
great to have Derek and Devin and you guys. We, we love you. You know, it's just wonderful family and uh, Whitney. I just It's just fun. We've had a really good time, but um, I'm not talking about that. You know, if, if you think you, you know, can't help go along with a joke or surprise somebody, then you've missed the point of what truth is. You've missed the point. Number four, will I live the truth? Will I live it? Now, here's, here's really something important, okay? I want you to, I want you to visualize this. There's, there's the core of who we are, the truth about us. You know it better than anyone else on the earth. God knows it even more than you. I sometimes don't even know what's really in my core. Someone ever cut you off and like something comes out of you that's really angry? And I'm like, whoa, that wasn't very godly. <laughs> you know, so even in my core, but this is what I should be working on in my life. But then there's something else our culture really pushes, the image of you. This is what we want people to see in us. This is why we dress like we dress sometimes, what we buy, what we buy. This has to do with our needs as a human being and this image that we want people to see in us. Now, the core of who we are and the image of who we are should be really close. But what often happens is our culture pushes us to focus more on our image than our core. Well, now I really need to live that. They believe this about me. Oh, now I really need to do that. Oh my gosh, I've got to buy a bigger house. Oh my gosh, I've got to, now I've really got to prove. And all of a sudden, I've got this gap. And this is who I really am over here. This is really, really what I know the truth is about me. But man, everyone sees me like this and I'm not, I'm not there, but i got to keep this thing going. And there's pressure in our culture and our society. And here's the problem. Our culture pushes us to care more about the image than we do the core. And God says, no, I care about the core. You're created in my image. Why don't you work on that? Because I have a plan for your future. I have a plan for your life. And that gap, when it gets too big, leads us to be shocked when people step out of bounds or they're caught or all of a sudden it's not a good investor, it's a Ponzi scheme. All of a sudden it's not this, it's, what, it's everything. It was total deception. I can't believe that person. I, I trusted them. I believed in them. You ever been there? It's disappointing. Why? The gap got too big. The gap got too big. Number five. Lastly, that gives you hope, doesn't it? I know it does. Will I accept the truth? You know, you, you, can, you can be working hard to speak the truth, to live the truth, and accepting the truth is really becomes subjectional in your life. It's really hard. Am I? I hope I am. It's sometimes difficult because the, these these acknowledgements. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try the three hardest words on the planet. Here we go. Take a deep breath. I was wrong. Just got a quiver. Just try it with me. Try it with me. Here we go. Come on, please. I was wrong. It's really hard to say. 
Some of you didn't say it. And you're thinking, that's because I don't lie. <laughs> Stop. Boils down to a couple simple things. What I believe about truth. What is it based on? And what is my response to it? You know, one of the reasons people give up on God in church is hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites. I am. The gap gets too big sometimes in my life, and i got to be reeled back in and talk to God about it. But I promise you, I'm putting the best effort I have in honoring God with my life. Don't always get it right. But people don't see that effort. They just see the gaps. What God is calling us to is an understanding of letting our faith in Him be the thing that refines us. I can't fix myself. That total humanistic view fails. And I sort of know deep down it fails. Because I was created for more than that. So this week, I want you to work on two things. I want you to just think about two things. Number one, think before you speak. Just pause. Someone, someone challenges you on something, just take a moment, take a breath, and think, what I say here really does matter. And is it the truth? Is it helpful? And the second one is to identify areas that you may be living a lie in. Don't beat yourself up. I, I don't like church like that. God is inviting us. He's not hammering us. He's inviting us toward these changes in my life. And the little sticky note, if you're new around here, the, the, the sticky note, um, we've been doing this for several weeks where we've asked people to write something down. There's sticky notes over there on both sides and pins over there. The question for this week that I want you to just pin on the wall is, how am I changing? How am I changing? This whole series, and it might be that you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lying less. I'm, I'm more vulnerable. I'm, I'm less angry. Whatever it is, just think about in your life what that might be as a result of God just inviting you toward change. And let Him in. Let the Spirit draw you. I want to pray with you. Lord, thank you that we can be together in a room like this and talk about real life. And I just ask you to reveal yourself to people in this room in a powerful way and those watching online. Let them know that you love them most of all and you care about their future and you absolutely have a plan for them. Holy Spirit, do your work. Draw mankind. Because humanly, we can't do that. Only you can do that. Let us see you as a God who loves us and cares about our future. Not as a crutch, but as an empowering tool to help me to live out my best 
and bring others along with me. I thank you for this today, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for people who are taking the time to come and sit in a room and be challenged. People watching online who are not afraid of a challenge. We're hungry for you and your truth. If you need to take a first step toward God today, just do it. Just step into it. Lord, I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to be open to what you're saying to me. Just say that to him right now. He's, he's listening. He's listening. Lord, we give all these things to you in your precious name. Amen. I want us to pray for the Ukraine, for what's happening in that part of the world. Um, I, I, I heard from our national office with the Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. And as of Friday, we had gotten all of our missionaries out of Ukraine, except for one family. And by now, I'm hoping that they have gotten them out as well. I don't know the, the details, but I, I just want us to pray. It's hard to know how to pray in these kind of circ circumstances. And I've, I've told you guys many times, Work, work on what you have influence in. And I don't really have influence in this big thing. And you may not either, but God does. And that's where prayer really does matter. So would you just agree with me in prayer? Lord, we bring the people of the Ukraine to your presence. Those that know you, those that don't, those that are right now here, shell casings and bombs around them family members who have already lost loved ones to this horrible war. God, I pray and we agree as a church family that your peace can come close. Your purpose, your heart, your passions. And we just pray that you would be with every individual, every person, and that you would give them strength. We also pray, Lord, for the state of this war, the conditions, the reason, the logic that somehow you would march in and bring resolve to this. Give the leaders of the world, the nations around Ukraine, understanding of your purposes and courage to make godly decisions. We trust you in this today. We truly do. We are people that care about the state of the world. Draw us into that prayer throughout this week. In your name we pray. Amen.